And Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And Jesus said, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, do you wish to get well? And Jesus said, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have forgiven, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. And Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. So we've been learning over the last couple of weeks a lot about air flight, probably a lot more than you ever woke up and said, hey, I'd like to learn a little bit more how airplanes fly. But we've been applying it to the experience of turbulence that most of us have in our personal lives. We've learned how turbulence in air flight as well as in our own personal life is a sudden change in airflow. When you're cruising along in a certain way and all of a sudden you drop altitude or, or maybe the attitude, the orientation of your plane gets shifted or maybe even the very direction of your life begins to head in a different direction. And we learned that just like airplanes, every one of us can experience this life-altering turbulence. And then we started to learn about different sources of turbulence. It's not just, well, there's a lot of wind up there. We found that that wind or that interference is caused by a couple different things. And there's actually nine of them that have been identified by uh, the School of Aeronautics. But we looked last week at self-induced turbulence, the things that we stir up our own air and that we cause our own trouble. But today we're going to be looking at a different kind of turbulence. And I think this is really going to be enlightening for a lot of us. Today we're going to be zooming in on mountain wave turbulence. It's what it's really called. Um, and it perfectly correlates to our faith. Flying over mountains is a real thing. You know, we just jump in our planes, you know, as passengers, and we just enjoy the flight. We get our coffee and our peanuts, maybe watch an in-flight movie, and we look down and we take cell phone pictures of, of airplanes, and we post them on Facebook, and everybody says, what are you, an idiot? We've all seen mountains before. But we, we all do that all the time, and we see the... But from a standpoint of being a pilot, they are real obstructions, not only from the fact you could crash into them, but also the effect of turbulence that they cause on the airplane. So mountain turbulence works this way. Um, it's as the wind begins to pass over the mountain, it creates this vortex on the leeward side or the downwind side of the mountain. And when it does, it can create a wave wall that planes will have to fly through. And, and that wave wall can last for about 100 miles beyond the mountain range that that vortex is so stirred up. And the problem is if you are flying in an underpowered aircraft, this kind of turbulence can be very dangerous. So mountain turbulence is a real thing. And it's something that's real to pilots. They chart it, it's on the maps, and they're told and they're aware of where this turbulence occur occurs. But it happens regardless of whatever the mountain range is. 
So this kind of led me to study a little bit about mountain ranges. And, and so I, I looked into some of the mountain ranges of North America. And we have a couple different kind of mountain ranges that every single pilot has to be aware of. Well, the highest mountain range, I didn't know this, is, is the Alaskan mountain range. And the king peak of this range is 20,000 feet high. It's called Denali. It's the loftiest mountain range in North America. And it rises one mile up higher than Mount Everest from base to summit. I, I didn't know that. It's, that's a, absolutely spectacular. In the lower 48s, the Sierra Nevadas make up the highest range. Uh, then, compared to the highest peak of the Appalachians at 6,000 feet, the Rockies' highest peak is 14,000 feet. Alongside that, the Rockies stretch across the country almost twice as long as the Appalachian Mountains. I didn't know that. The Appalachians stretch for about 1,500 miles up along the uh, parallel in the eastern seaboard, but the Rockies are 3,000 miles of mountain range. You see how you have to be aware of where the mountains are if you're a pilot. Surprisingly, the Rockies are much younger than the eroded Appalachian Mountains to the east. The Rockies were formed about 80 to 55 million years ago, whereas the Appalachian Mountains were formed about 500 million years ago. They actually call them the, the, the granddad of the mountains of North America. That's why they're so rounded off. Then you have, coming in a little lower, the Adirondack Mountains, which cover about 5,000 square miles in upstate New York, if you care about New York. We don't care about New York down here. But um, some of the oldest mountains in the continent, and I'm from Boston, and we don't like anything about New York. So, uh, you know, and we'll talk about those dysfunctions that I have in just a few minutes. Then, the, then we got to talk about the Tetons. My favorite mountain range in the United States, they are in Wyoming. They are the youngest mountain range that come in at about 10 million years old. And the reason why we know that is because they have the most dramatic peaks, which means that the glacial activity over them has not happened as long as it has happened to the, Ap to the Appalachians. When you're finished with the sermon, if you want to enrich your understanding of mountain ranges, after the service is over, do not text or Google it while you're sitting here. But if you want to find out the origin of the name of the Grand Tetons, uh, Google that uh, and make sure you have, it, it, it'll be interesting. Um, let me know if you've done that and uh, you, you'll thank me for it later. So it doesn't matter how high they are. They, were, uh, they all create turbulence. So it doesn't matter how high or low the mountain range is. It doesn't matter how young or old the mountain range is. They all create turbulence. And the things about mountains and that they represent to us today is that they have been here. They have always been here. They predate all air flight. So when you put all these observations together, they begin to speak some parallel to our own faith journey. Um, there are things that we face in our life that predate us, that cause turbulence. We learned last week about the turbulence that you and I create for ourselves, but now we're looking at the things that predate us that create turbulence. These may be situations that have become mountainous. They may be cultural patterns of life. They may be things that we were born with, whether it's genetic or, or uh, other things that we were born. They may be things that we were born into in our lives. These are the things that have already been laid out. 
that when we came on the planet and we began to fly in our lives, these were already there. These were patterns that were already affecting everything. You didn't create these. These were already here, but yet they still create turbulence in our lives. So in the beginning, I I read some scriptures. And if you're a a student of of theology or uh, of the Bible, you probably were trying to figure out how did all those scriptures even relate to each other because they sounded disjointed. And and we're going to find out that that each of them represented a mountain range, just like the Sierra Nevadas and just like the Adirondacks and the Appalachians and the Rockies represent different formations, that we're going to find out that every one of those scriptures represented a, a, a mountain range that we all pass over, that, that affect us and cause turbulence. And for a lot of us, these are mountain ranges that we're crashing into that we can't fly over or, or we can't tra- uh, traverse. These are things that are obstacles that get in our way all the time. And as I read these scriptures, I'm gonna ask you, um, it's really interesting. I have the least amount of notes of any sermon that I've probably have communicated in the last, I don't know, 10 years. And normally I will have bullet points on my notes here and boom, 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 boom. I have very little notes. And I think I was kind of led into this because I don't know how this is going to be applied personally to your life. So we're asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you today because you may have never seen the Alaskan Trail, but you may be very familiar with the Adirondacks. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to throw out a couple examples of how it applies in my life and how I've experienced life, but I may totally miss it for you. I'm asking God to, to whatever you hear, to be the thing that he wants you to deal with today. This is all about us getting over these mountains because they're all there. Every one of us were born into it. Every one of us were born with it. And these are patterns that affect every one of our lives. So let me start with the first thing that Jesus said in Luke 14, 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That is absolutely absurd. I mean, let's be honest with you. I mean, that sounds, I had to say Jesus said in order for you to, you're thinking this is like some Old Testament scripture, some, you know, some, crazy-eyed prophet said something like this. But this is Jesus making this statement. And even though we're going to learn that he calls us to love exactly the same group of people that he says for us to hate here, we're going to learn that he's talking about some mountain range that affects every single one of us. He's not contradicting himself. He's exposing something that we fly over. And I believe it's our families functional and dysfunctional, or just defunct. These are the patterns that we were born into, the, the, peop, the family we were born into. Whether they were functional or not, you didn't get to pick your dad. You didn't get to pick your mom. You didn't get to pick that you don't know your mom or your dad. You didn't get to pick that you would be in foster care. You didn't get to pick that your parents would divorce when you were 12 years old. 
These are the mountain ranges that you had no control over, but you were born into them. The dysfunctions that are around us. And far too often, we allow this mountain range to keep us from reaching the altitude and the potential that we were created in Christ to experience. Too often, we're allowing what our fathers did or didn't do to become the definition of what we can or should do. Too often, because we experience dysfunction at this point in our lives as a child, that we think that we will never experience anything better as an adult. Or that we will never be better fathers or better mothers than what we experienced in the past. And we live under this this misplaced scripture that a lot of people have heard that the sins of your father will be visited upon you upon generation upon generation upon generation. And even though that scripture is true, it is not the planned outcome that God wants for us. It is just the pattern of crashing into mountains that humans do every day in every life and in every generation. We crash into the same mountain. He wants us to rise above this. He wants us to live differently. He wants us to experience life beyond the dysfunctions of our family. He doesn't want us to constantly live in the shadow of it. So if you're here today and and. Uh, Mother's Day is around the corner. And you know, Mother's Day is like the worst day of the year for a pastor. It's the worst day of the year. I mean, no, I'm, I'm serious. We will, I don't talk about Mother's Day because half the mothers get angry or half the women get angry that I'm talking about mothers, but they're not mothers. Then I, half the mothers get angry because they might have had abortions. Then half the mothers are angry because their mothers were, they were crack babies born to a mother who was addicted to drugs. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to talk about something else on Mother's Day. And, and so we can't even celebrate mothers because there are so many, you know, on the, on the face of the mountain of motherhood, there's so many fuselages that have crashed on the mountain. Therefore, we no longer believe in this concept of motherhood, you know? And we do the same thing about fatherhood. A lot of you ladies, you just can't stand men. You can't stand the idea of a husband. You can't stand, so therefore it's like, you know, let's blow the mountain up because we've all crashed into the mountain. And and God's like, no, no, we're gonna talk about rising up, about arising and shining for the light has come, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That God wants us to be able to live in a new way. And I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that. But let me go on to the next one. So maybe some of you are crashing on the mountain of your family's dysfunction. Your dad was a jerk, okay? And what, you're going to have to get over that. You really are going to have to get over it. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the mental exercise. I'm gonna, we'll talk more. Okay, the next one. Jesus says, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Um, again, a very harsh thing for Jesus to say at a very critical point in a person's life. Now, I think we need to add a little bit of maybe some cultural setting that a lot of cultures, don't, they're not like Americans. We, you know, somebody dies, three, three days, we get the notice out. We, you know, then we plan the wake, and then we plan the funeral, and bada-bing, bada-boom, we got you in the ground, you're gone, okay? And uh, we, we move pretty fast through that process. 
But in like in Jesus' culture, this may be a year-long process of, of, of carrying the body. I mean, matter of fact, even when Joseph the patriarch died, I believe he died in Egypt, uh, they carried his bones all the way to the promised land. You know, so they had that guy wrapped up. And, and, and that was pretty cool that they buried him in the promised land. But the point is, is that they had this way of preparing a dead person's body that we could carry that around. And Jesus is talking in this particular illustration is about our past. The things that we carry around with us. The dead things that we carry around. Always defining ourselves by the mistakes that we've made in the past. And we just carry this with us. You know, I, this is going to sound totally absurd, but it is, it is something that I have struggled with. Um, and it really, it took, it, it took Pastor Ben to help me figure out what was going on in my head. But as a young man, particularly from the ages of 16 to about uh, 21, um, I dated a lot. And, uh, but I didn't just date, I cheated a lot, okay? I did not have a girlfriend I did not cheat on. I mean, I'm not proud of it, but that was just the way I roll. I'd take you out to dinner, we'd have a good time, about 10 o'clock, get you back to your house, and then I'd slip on out and hit the clubs until about two o'clock, and, you know, maybe you could find another gal and, and just be kind of a, a full night, you know, and, and I had that pattern of living for about five years of my life. That's just the way that I did it. But what I didn't realize is that I was creating a mountain. This really was something that I was building. It was a pattern of, of cheating that when it was time for me to get married, I never thought I could be faithful to one woman. And, uh, I've been married twice. I'm in my second marriage. First marriage, I did not cheat on my first wife. I was just a jerk. I was worth cheating on, but I was not, and I contributed to the demise of the marriage in other ways. Um, But here I've been married for 34 years of my life. And do you know, for some reason, I still think I'm going to cheat on my wife. You say, well, that's weird. Well, what do you do? Do you surf the web looking for women? No. Do you uh, go to websites and type in your name and pretend you're single on Tinder or Tinder or whatever that thing's called. Uh, it should be called Love Me Tender, wouldn't it? Should it be? Uh, not Tinder. I don't know what that is. But no, in my mind, I have always had this idea, well, you know, you're going to mess up one day. You're going to mess up one day. I have, I am telling you, I have no pattern of life that communicates to anyone that I'm ever going to cheat on my wife. I, I, I don't. But for some reason in my mind, I always think of myself as a no good, rotten, lousy cheater. It's like, where did that come from? It's my past. And I've been carrying that around, and it's like, dude, you know one day you're gonna mess up, one day it's gonna, it's gonna happen, it's one day. And it's like, well, when, when are you gonna put that down? When are you gonna realize you're a, tra- you're a child of the living God? When are you gonna realize that and, and I, I almost get nervous even saying this, that you're a man of God. It's like, come on, man, really? Not, not me, I mean, the other guys, yeah, he's a good guy, you know? It's like, no, you're a man of God. You're a man after God's own heart. You're, I mean, when are you going to figure that out? And for a lot of us, we are carrying the past around. And I'm here to tell you, even if you're the cheater, even if you did what 
I was afraid I was going to do. I don't think I'm any better than you. I mean, I've been carrying around that dead body just as long as you may have carried it around and you might have been the one that did it. Produced the same results. So it's time for us to drop the past. It's time for us to, to rise up above our worst mistakes. It's time for us to receive the forgiveness of God and, 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 and allow God uh, to work into our lives. And, and I'll say a, a couple more things about that in a few seconds. But for, for a lot of us, we're carrying the past around. You're carrying what you did, your dad did around. You're carrying what somebody else did. Sociologically, as Americans, we're carrying the past around. Okay. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, Jesus said to him, do you wish to get well? Now, I've got to be honest with you. Having dealt with a little bit of pain in my life, I, anybody comes up to me and is like, well, Pastor Paul, do you want to get better? I'd, I'd, I'd haul off and knock you out. I mean, it'd just be like, you, you dumb, you know? But, but here's the thing. I know Jesus isn't dumb, and I know Jesus can make this man well, but Jesus is trying to get the man to think about something that the man hasn't thought about. It's the possibility of having a well life. You know, I think this story represents the mountain of our personal dysfunctions. The things that we're willing to settle for. That we're just willing to allow ourselves to believe this is the way that we're going to be for the rest of our lives. This is what my dad said about me. This is what, this is what my spouse said about me. This is what I did wrong. Or, or, or here's another thing. In America, we don't, we don't deal with dysfunctions. We turn them into enneagrams or we turn them into our disc profile, or we call it into temperaments. Well, you know me, I'm just Irish, so I, I have this way of being that I am. I have a temper, that's the way it's going to be. You know, guys, we're visual, we're gonna look at porn. You, you know, this, and we'll come up with all these reasons why we can remain in our dysfunction. You know, I have that alcoholic gene, so therefore, I'm just going to drink. And we just decide, this is the way that I'm going to be. And Jesus is asking us today, do you really wish, and, and it's interesting, this will be a rise up condition. He'll say rise up and heal, be healed. It's like, do you want to get over this mountain? And I don't care what mountain you're facing in your life, what level of dysfunction you're experiencing. I don't care how screwed up you are in your mind. And we are screwed up in our minds in a lot of ways. Do you want to get well? I mean, do we really want to get well? Because there is a way for us to rise up, as, as Isaiah said, on eagle's wings, that we can run and not grow weary, that we can continue to walk in the principles of God and not grow faint. I mean, this is incredible what God's offering us, but too many of us, are, we, we face our dysfunctions, and we crash into the mountain over again, over again, over again, and we just stay in this cycle when God's like, listen, it's time for you to arise, and it's time for you to fly right. Then there's another one. This is interesting. Um, whenever you stand praying, forgive, 
If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions, Mark eleven twenty five. We keep crashing into the mountains of our unforgiveness. Now we can start first with our unforgiveness towards ourselves. Now you first have to have authority to forgive yourself. Because most of the things that we commit wrong that we don't forgive ourselves are usually against another person or against God. So once God has forgiven you for something, have you started flying? I mean, once God has forgiven you for, and I'm just good, you know, your adultery, you know, uh, you're, you're cheating, you're lying, you're stealing, your covetousness, your jealousy, your racism. When are, you, when are we going to rise up out of that? How long are we going to stay and not allowing the forgiveness of God to reach our own hearts and minds? If God be for you, who can be against you? I mean, if God is, let God be true and every man a liar, and that's including yourself. It's like there's a point when you have to just realize, I'm forgiven of God. I can lift my head now. Too many of us, we come to church, we get forgiven, and then we still walk around. Well, you know he cheated on his wife. You know he cheated on his wife, right? You know, yeah, he, he cheated on his wife. And, and churches are notorious for passing the message. We pass the message about other people like we pass the plate, you know? And, 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 and then somebody cannot raise their head because of what they've done wrong. And, we, and when you've got your head down, guess where your airplane goes? Right into the side of a mountain. So I don't care what you've done. I mean, I don't, and, and I have complete authority from God to say that because Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ has forgiven us who are in, by faith, relationship with him. So when Jesus Christ, when I declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am not just going to heaven. I can lift up my head. He is the glory and the lifter of my head. I get over mountains. So God wants us to begin to live. He wants us to fly. And yes, those mountains mess, you know, they still have turbulence. They they you know, mess with my airplane and shake me a little bit. And yeah, I've got to do the relational work of, you know, getting along with that or asking forgiveness of another person. That has to be done. You know, the biggest place in my life, I think the, when I think most about it is my father. And I had to do the work of forgiveness to my father for our past. He turned out to be an amazing man. Love him, miss him every single day of my life. But I had to choose to forgive him even when he did not ask me to. My father never asked me to forgive him. I just knew how much I had been forgiven by Christ and I knew I owed it to him. And I'm telling you what, daggum, if it didn't work, you know, it worked. And it changed our relationship with each other. You know, and, 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 and I mean, I used to dream in the middle of the night about fighting or wrestling or, or, or killing my father because of the things that we experienced as children. You know, it, it, I've got fake teeth because of my father. And every night I would crash into the same mirage of, of what my father had done to me. And I would crash, 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 and I'd be angry. And it f affected my parenting. It affected my masculinity. I was never going to let anybody do that to me again. So I had to become hyper macho. And, and you know, it was all these different crazy ways that the mountain was affecting my flight. Until I forgave him. And then it was like, wow. All of a sudden I heard in my head, 
you're free to move about the cabin. The turbulence is over. It's because I forgave him. So let me encourage you, whether it's forgiveness towards yourself or forgiveness towards other people, it's time for us to end it, to end it. If you're in a pathological repeating of the same story over and over again, stop it. If you are saying, well, this is what happened in the past, I'll never forgive this person, my family's always going to be screwed up, you just plowed into a mountain, sucker. I'm sorry. You're giving your life away because another person did something wrong to you. I mean, somebody else is flying your airplane. And God, and I know this is kind of like, whoa, he's a little aggressive today, you know? Um, you know, what's up with him? It's like, no, I think it's time for us to fly. Okay? I think it's, um, we can, I'm going to say it, we can crash our woke butts into the mountain all day long and it won't change nothing about America. Let's get along, let's get into forgiveness, let's get, get into saying I'm sorry, and then let's get back to giving dignity to one another and start flying again. Okay? Um, yeah, okay, listen. I go into that a lot more in the first service. So if you want to hear, I'm serious, if you want to hear a little bit more about how we've racially, we crash in the plane all the time trying to look into our past to find out how bad we have been um, and how that will not change the future, listen to that one. Because it really did go a, a different way, the first service. Um, okay, then this is the next one. If you were of the world... The world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. There's another pattern that's been laid down that affects the flight of us. It's called our culture. And you know, it it affects all of us. Our culture is, it's just about whacked. Okay, and I'm not on some religious soapbox. I mean, I can back up psychologically, um, philosophically, and scientifically, we're whacked. I mean, we don't, we don't understand gender anymore. Uh, we definitely don't understand marriage. We don't know what masculinity looks like, femininity looks like. We, we, um, the Oscars. Um, okay. I, what, a, what, a, what a beautiful example of the American culture right now, the pattern of life that we've born into. So this academy that makes goodles, oodles of money off of making movies about violence and destruction and, and all kinds of stupid relationships and crazy stuff, all of a sudden is now offended because one of their own gets up and punches another one of their own who is making fun of a condition the other one's own his wife has. Now, it was all stupid. The behavior was tap, absolutely stupid. And now the economy is going to get an ethical board together and decide whether or not that was ethically exact. It's like, what the heck? You guys are spinning out crap movies into our country about violence and different ways to kill human beings, and then you're going to get all ethical over a hand slap? It's like, Ben, what is it that you always say something about the mother hand, hand chicken he has all these colloquialisms that come, that I, I mean, they're like dated back to, I'm sure young Ben has heard them a thousand, what, something about watching the hen house, the baby chickens watching the, 
Oh yeah, putting Colonel Sanders in charge of the baby checks, yeah. <laughs> I sure wasn't gonna end there. <laughs> but isn't it incredible? We're all sitting back watching this and this is the very culture that creates this kind of behavior. So if we're waiting for the world to give us patterns of life, if you're crashing into the world about what it says about you, what your marriage, what a woman is, what a man is, what a marriage should be, I'm telling you what, you're gonna bury your mountain in the, the face of El Capitan every single time if you're going to re- rely on the world to give you your pattern for how you're supposed to fly. Okay, I'm telling you, all these, these verses, they go together perfectly. Then there's this one, Mark 14, 7. You will always have the poor with you. I thought that was a really interesting thing for Jesus to say. It's like, I thought you came to wipe out poverty. It's like, no, you're, you're going to have... There are some conditions that we experience in life that are universal and will probably remain. I, I, I define this this way. Our shared adversity and responsibility. The things you can't eliminate, but yet you're still called to get involved in. Racism. Um, Racism is not going away. I'm from Boston, so uh, we did boroughs. We divided the city up into boroughs. You know, the East End, that's where uh, all the Irish live. And the Italians live in the North. The blacks live in the South. Uh, I, I don't know where we pushed the Polish, but they, they're there someplace. But we divided the city up into it. it, it and and uh, we segregated. That was our solution for racism. And, but we do it to each other. It doesn't matter. We could do it males against females, females against males. We could say, well, racism, it's a white-black thing. No, 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 no. Uh, you, um, you got the whites against the blacks, blacks against whites, until you enter the Hispanics. And then you got the whites and the blacks against the Hispanics. And then let's throw the Asians in there. You know? Um, and so don't worry. The, the point is this, is that racism is a constant we will always be scared of somebody. We will always be subjugating someone in the world. Whether it's the Irish, the Anglo-Saxons, the Vikings, uh, the, whatever it is, history is replete with our propensity to do th- things. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to give up on the issue. Because Jesus finishes the statement, and he says, you will, have, you will always have the poor with you, but whenever you wish, you can do them good. It's like Joshua saying, as for me and my house, I don't know what the rest of the world's going to do, but racism's not happening from the Rienzo house. And it's not. It's like, well, you're white, you're racist. No, I'm not. I am not. Uh, to the best of my ability, I try to, be, to deal with all people in equity, and I try to see them as the image bearer of, of God's image himself. And it's like, and I can't control what the rest of the world does, But as long as I'm flying, I'm not crashing into that mountain. And so I'm encouraging you that there are some things that we're always going to be... And and for a lot of us, we think we're going to give up. Because you'll never change anything, Paul. You'll never change anything, Susan. You'll never make any difference. Like, no, these problems will remain after we die. 
But as long as I'm here, the poor will get fed, racism will stop or be pushed back, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And you have the right to choose to end the, the, the craziness. You have that power. End the craziness in your family. Start there. Just stop talking to your wife like a, like a madman. So mountains don't end the journey for us. Um, they don't have to be a place where you and I crash and burn. They don't have to be the insurmountable uh, obstructions to our God-given calling. They don't have to be. And so, so I want to encourage you that just because it's difficult and just because it's hard and just because it's been there for a really long time doesn't mean God doesn't want you to have victory in it. Just because somebody else did it to you, just because that's the way the world does it, it doesn't mean anything. We have been called to rise up. I love Isaiah 40, 31, and it's the theme verse of our women's mentorship here at Crosstown, our sore ministry. What a beautiful name. I always thought it was silly. Now I get it. It took all this time. I now get it. I get it. Hey, that's why Jesus sent, I mean, God sent women to the tomb first and then sent them back to the guys. Then they got it. Okay, now I get it. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow tired. They will walk and not become weary. It's like, wow. Flying over something is not ignoring the issue. It's not. It is rising on the principles and the promises of God the wings of the eagle so that you don't collide with these mountains. They may remain there, but you don't have to collide with them. So what do you do? You borrow another mind. I know that sounds weird. You borrow another mind. Paul the apostle said this, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And then he rattles off what that mind was like. It's like, borrow another mind. If your mind can't get racism right, borrow another mind. If your mind can't get being masculine right, well, then borrow another mind. Or, or being a woman right, then borrow another. Well, what mind do we borrow? We borrow the mind of Christ. And I never noticed it in the verse before. He says, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And he rattles it off. I'm like, how does he know what the mind of Christ is? You know, I was like, wait a minute. He borrowed that. He borrowed that. The spirit of God and the wisdom of God and the principles of God, he totally borrowed it. So much so that he could look at you and say, this was the mind of Christ. And he rattled it right off. America needs the mind of Christ. It doesn't need the mind of Republicans and Democrats. It doesn't need to be anti-white or anti-black. It needs the mind of Christ. Jesus died, became a part of the mountains. And on the third day, he rose above the mountains. Let the same mind, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwell in your life. Yes, your dad was a jerk. Get over it. 
forgive it and move on. Yes, we've created great crimes as a country against people. Forgive it, ask for an apology, and then let's get on with it. We can't move forward if we keep crashing into the same mountain. Your marriage, you cheated, tell your spouse I'm sorry, ask forgiveness to the Lord, then lift up your head and move forward. You screwed up with your kids, let me just tell you, call them. No, they'll never believe me. Okay, keep crashing into that mountain, mister. Yeah, they'll hate you for the rest of their life and your grandkids will hate you too. Or you decide you're flying high. Just tell your kids you're sorry. I wasn't there or I did the wrong thing or I don't know what your mom told you. I'm not here to talk to you about your mom. I'm here to tell you I love you. I know you don't want to hear it from me, but I just want it. We're going to fly over this. You'd be shocked. I never thought I could forgive my father. Never thought I could. Now I can't believe I cry so much about the old guy being gone. Power of forgiveness. So borrow another mind. Overcoming is a faith journey. God doesn't want you to stop flying. So let me just rattle off a quick couple things. Stop saying I was made this way. That's not an excuse for anything. And I'm not talking about gay people here. Okay, I'm talking about all of us who use the excuse of where we were born, who we were born to, what situation we were born into, what our genetics are lot. Stop it. Stop it. That, stop saying I was made this way. We were never called to be better versions of ourselves. We, we were called to say it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me. That's the life that we're called to live, okay? Okay, you, you can stop that. <laughs> I, it makes me feel like a Baptist church and I just get scared. I, I love the Baptist, it just scares me. I, I'm dysfunctional. I got to get over that mountain. I'm over that mountain. Okay. All right. I'm over that mountain. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, all I do is look at Chris and Stacey McLean. If they're shaking their heads, I know I've messed up. You know, so <laughs> stop settling for my family is broken. Okay. My marriage sucks. Stop saying that. You'll crash into it. If you focus on a target, you'll hit it every time. Stop resigning potential to, they did this to me. People will own you more than you've ever been owned if you continue to chart the course of your life based upon what people did to you in the past. Stop refusing to say, I forgive you. Stop saying it. I can never forgive them. Stop it. You're going to crash into it every single time. Stop believing things will never change. And maybe they won't change on a universal level for the world. But they can change in your life. Evil can stop right now in your home. Racism can stop right now in this church. You know, um, chauvinism or misogyny can end right now. I'm going to tell you. I'm not thinking more highly of myself. I'm flying where Jesus wants me to fly. If I walk into a room and there's racism going on, I'm bringing it down. 
And you all have that power. But you know what? Let's start at home. Let's just start with being husbands that love our wives and cherish them and being wives that honor our husbands even when we're doofuses. You know? So, let me encourage you. Pray that the mountain moves. There are some mountains we pray for. And Jesus said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, rise up and be cast into the ocean. And it will happen. So, pray that prayer. I do know this. In the life of Jesus, in the life of the apostles, no topographical change occurred in their lifetimes. Meaning, no mountains were thrown into the sea. So what do you do when you pray for a mountain to be cast in the sea and it doesn't move? And I recommend you do pray that it moves. Because you fly over it. You fly over it. It's like, well, God didn't heal me. Well, then fly over it. Stop defining you based upon your illness. Well, but, you know, God didn't, you know, restore this relationship. Okay, then we're going to have to fly over it. Okay, And, and so let me encourage you. God wants you to fly Father, as we are here, help us through your spirit, through your word, through your wisdom to mount up like eagles. Help us to soar. God, I know that there's so many people here right now, the thought of living outside the shadow of a mountain seems insurmountable. But you died and rose again on the third day so that we could rise with you. Not only to see you risen, but that we could be risen with you. So Father, as we receive communion, as we go to prayer to one of our prayer ministers, as we maybe write down the name of a mountain range that has been stopping and we've been crashing into and we pin it to the cross, God, today, it ends now. You want us to live the life that you have called us to and to stop crashing. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but allow the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead to raise you up on eagle's wings.